All right, take your Bible, turn to the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. God willing, we'll be expounding verse 11 this morning. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the past several weeks, Paul has been telling us the type of godly character that Christian men and Christian women and Christian servants should have been telling us what we should be like, what we should do, giving us uh, a picture of what a godly person should look like. And he's told us not only be this way, but how we should yield to the authority that God's placed over us. And now there's three things here this morning that I would like to share with you. I don't always have points when it comes to verse-by-verse exposition, but I think this will help uh, organize the, the thoughts and the exposition in your mind. And the first is power. The power. The second is the principle. And the third is the present time. That's what we're going to see in this one verse this morning. In verse 11, you're going to see the power, the principle, and the present time. Like every subject in the Bible, we're going to start with the power. The power. Like every subject in the Bible, Paul is going to draw the inevitable connection between the character that we are supposed to possess, that he tells us we're supposed to possess, with the Christ who died for us all. The power. He's been uh, giving us some very difficult commandments. Some of them are kind of edgy. They rub us the wrong way in our flesh. But mark this down. Anytime the Bible speaks about our works, the emphasis will always be on Jesus' work. Anytime the Bible speaks about our works, what you're supposed to be like, how you're supposed to live, the emphasis will always be On Jesus' work. Christian character comes from Christ in the Christian. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Christian character comes from Christ in the Christian. Our work for Jesus begins and ends by our faith in His work for us. I'm going to say that again. Our work for Jesus begins and ends with faith in His work for us. Paul said, Titus, you teach these men how to behave this way. You teach these women to do this or that. You teach these Christian servants to behave this way in the workplace. Live the life that's pleasing to God. But now Paul tells them why. And most importantly, he tells them how. Look in verse 11. He says, for... You see how now he's tying verse 11 back to everything he's been telling us. We've been teaching on young men, on older men, on older women, on younger women, on pastors, on servants. And now he brings it down and ties it all together. Teach them these things for because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. That's why. That's the power to perform Every commandment Paul's been giving us. 
all the requirements for holiness and pastors and Christian men and women and servants of the workplace. Every commandment Paul gave Titus to teach these believers and thus gave you and me. All boils down to one thing. Underscore in verse 11. The grace of God. That's what it all boils down to. You do the commandments of God. Why? All because of the grace of God. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? You can fulfill the law of God only by the grace of God. The grace of God particularly that brings salvation, Paul said. The whole time that Paul has been giving us some important commandments about our Christian conduct, and some of those commandments, like I said, they're difficult for us to hear. They, they, they scrape the wrong direction against our flesh, you know. And they, they, they cut against the grain. We listen to them, perhaps, and we think sometimes, this commandment is so difficult for me to obey. It just... It's so hard for me to endure, so hard for me to listen to. It's, it's too hard for me. It goes against my nature. Yes. In your flesh, it is too hard for you to obey. The, the truth is, our flesh can't fully obey any of God's commandments. Not one. The Bible says the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you can't do the things that you would do. For God. Our flesh wants to rebel and be its own boss. But Paul is not encouraging us to stir up our own strength. He's not trying to arouse our flesh to fulfill the commandments. They can't do that. Paul's stirring us up by the grace of God. Particularly, he's stirring us up, he's empowering us by the grace of God. That brings salvation. Salvation does not only justify us. It does not only save us from hell. It saves us from sin. It sanctifies us. It purifies us. One day it's going to glorify us. But it's all done by the grace of God. Paul says give these commandments to them. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Your power to live a Christian life lies in the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for you. You have to stand in the victory and, and, and that Jesus has won. That's the only way you can do it. Considering yourself to be dead unto sin, buried in the grave, and now alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just like we figure there in baptisms. It's the only way you can do it. Every believer can cheerfully, get that? Every believer can cheerfully fulfill every commandment Paul gave because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Take your pen and underline the word appeared. Appeared. The Greek word that's translated appeared here, it has the idea of shining light and making something known. If it was really dark in here and you couldn't see anything, and suddenly light shined on Brother Shepherd, even though a little light kind of emanates from him naturally anyway, 
But if some shined on him and suddenly he appeared in the dark room, that's the idea of this word appeared. All men haven't heard the gospel around the world. There's some people who've never heard the name of Christ. Paul isn't saying that everyone's heard the gospel. Paul didn't say the news of Christ has been heard by all men. He said the grace of God has appeared to all men. See the difference? It has shined unto them. Speaking of Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 5. The Bible says the light shines in the darkness. It shines in the darkness. The wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that brings salvation, Paul said, has shined and it still continues to shine today. The grace of God shines through the proclamation of the gospel message. The grace of God shines through the faithful preachers who proclaim the gospel. The grace of God has shined because Jesus has come down to earth and made known to us that he came down to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give his life a ransom for sinners. And that's every one of us. It shines through gospel books and tracts that we leave out. It shines through the personal witness of believers around the world. Now I want you to think about God's grace shining. Like the sunshine. The grace of God shines as well. The sun's full of energy. It's full of light. All the earth is sustained by the light and energy of the sun. Every bit of it. You are alive today and moving for no other reason, fleshly speaking, than the energy and light of the sun. That's it. All life is sustained on earth by the light and energy of the sun. The thing is, the sun's a long way from earth. All that energy and all that light is like a long way away. Brother Shepherd could probably tell you the, the exact number of feet from here to the sun. But I can't, not without Googling it first. But it's a long way from earth. And so the only way that all that energy can get to us from the sun is if the sun shines it down to us to get it from point A to point B where we need it. That's the only way. There was light before the earth was ever made. The Bible says God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. But in the beginning the earth was without form. It was void and it was dark. All the light the earth needed was already in existence. But God had to shine the light to the earth. He had to get it from point A to point B. So he said, let there be light on the earth. He didn't create light that day. He is light. The Bible says when he makes the world new again, we won't need the sun because the light of Christ will be the light thereof. So the only way to get the sun's energy to us so it can be any benefit to us down here is that it shines to us. Other than that, it would be of no use to us staying far above our heads. But by shining that energy down to us, uh, the, the, the sun sends its life-giving benefits to everyone down here. And in the same way, God's grace supplies our needs. God's grace has, all, has been uh, around as long as God has, which is forever. 
We have all that we need in, in, in God. It's God's grace that supplies the sunlight to us. He's the one that said, let there be light. God's grace supplies the sun. The sun supplies us. As Brother Shepherd this morning, God doesn't give light to the sun. He gives light through the sun to us here on earth. It's God's grace that brings the rain, the food, the shelter that we need. But most of all, Paul talked about the grace of God that brings salvation this morning. Like the sun, God's grace has to come down from God to us somehow. It must get from Him in heaven to you and me on earth who need it. The sinners who need to be saved. So the grace of God that brings salvation, Paul says, has shined. It has been sent down to us like the light of the sun. It came to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the Word made flesh. The light that shines in the darkness. And Paul said that light shines, look back in your text, to all men. To all men. Not just a few men. Not just to a select group of men. Not just to the elect that God wants to save and to nobody else because He doesn't want anyone else to be saved. No, Paul said the grace of God has shined to all men. As the light of the sun brings life and energy to all men, so the grace of God brought salvation to all men. His grace shines eternal life to, as Jesus said, every creature. His words. It shined to all men. The only problem is most men want to remain in darkness. But Paul says the fact that God has shined His gracious light of Christ to all men, it contains a lesson that we should learn. The power for us to obey the commandments that God gave, the power for us to live godly in Christ Jesus, is the grace of God that brings salvation. But in that power, there is a principle that brings us to our second point. There is a principle. Paul says that the grace of God shining the, the, that, that, that gracious light of salvation to all men, it contains a lesson for us to learn. A principle for us to apply. He said the grace of God has appeared. It has shined to all men. Look in verse 12. Teaching us. Isn't that something? So we go from the power, the grace of God that brings salvation to the principle. And that is the lesson that that grace teaches us. The gospel is a lesson within a lesson. The gospel doesn't simply inform us. It instructs us by teaching us what God has done. The gospel teaches us what we should do. The fact that God orchestrated, and here's the lesson, here's how it teaches us. When we think about this incredible thing called the gospel that was from eternity past, when you understand it in the scriptures, the gospel didn't begin when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In one place before the world began is how the scriptures put it. And so the fact that, that God uh, has orchestrated this incredible, complex, and eternal salvation scheme that he may fully and completely eradicate sin... 
punish the wicked, forgive the sinner through the death of his own son. The fact that, that he's planned the gospel out from beginning of the earth all the way to the end and how it's going to play out in eternity future. The fact that we have 66 books in the Bible all brought together by this gospel hub like, like spokes, 66 spokes on a wheel and that gospel being the hub. It's a lesson to us. The fact that sin, as we learn through the gospel message, that sin has brought death. Sin's brought the chaos into the world that we are witnessing today. The, the, the absolute uh, confusion by us getting things out of God's natural order. The destruction that we see on earth. The misery that we experience on earth. The hate that is spread across the world. The endless wars and all manner of confusion and pain upon creation that we have today. It's a lesson to all of us. The fact that God in His redemptive plan is going to destroy this failing sinful world and make it new again. And thus the world as we know it will come to an end. Yet yeah, must come to an end. Because if it doesn't come to an end, there's no way that all the misery here on earth can be relieved. It will just continue to perpetuate and get worse and worse and worse. And because of all of that, the way that we learn through the gospel message, there's a lesson for every one of us. It's teaching us this. It's teaching us, look back in your text, that... We should be, what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. That's what the lesson is teaching us. That's what the gospel teaches. We should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Ungodliness is what we are seeing in the world right now. It's men denying God's wisdom, God's goodness, God's love, God's influence, God's word and will for their lives. It's men denying God His rightful place as, as Lord in their lives and then desiring to live without Him. Ungodliness. I don't want God in my life. That was what we saw in the school systems trying to reach our children as early as possible. The devil wanted to push God out of our school system. Push God out of our government. Push God out of our homes. Ungodliness separate ourselves from God like Adam did in the Garden of Eden when he took that fruit and said, I'll decide what's good and evil for myself. I'll make up my own rules. I'll do it my way, not God's way. That's the predominant attitude of mankind. And so the worldly lust, that's the things that ungodly men desire, ungodly people desire. What they crave in their sinful flesh. If you crave something that does not glorify God. If you crave something that is contrary to His Word. If you crave something that does not fulfill His will in your life. That is a worldly lust. It's a desire that's based on the fallen world that you are in. Rather than the glorified, holy kingdom that is above you. That's why Jesus said we should pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Because right now earth is contrary to heaven and contrary to God's will. It's, it's ungodly. It doesn't have heavenly lusts. It has worldly lusts. What caused all the heartache in our world? Ungodliness and worldly lusts. That's it. What's fueling all the selfishness that we see today? What's fueling all the mass murders, the mass shootings that we see? I, I read in the, the news the other day where a, a man came into a convenience store and took a sword and cut half a man's hand off and left it laying on the floor. Did y'all see that? Anyone but me? You saw it? It's good to know someone else is informed, Miss Sheila. I appreciate that. It's so sad. What fuels all of that? What fuels the sexual perversions that we see? The assaults, the hatefulness, the neglect and abuse of our fellow man. It's all fueled by man's ungodliness and worldly lusts. Ungodliness and worldly lust, they're very deceitful and they're, they're very deadly. They're destructive. You know why? Because they deny us the very thing they promise us. <laughs> they deny us happiness. They bring sorrow to the world. Uh, they, 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 uh, uh, I'm sorry, they promise us happiness, but they bring sorrow to the world. They, they, they promise us freedom. They bring us into bondage. They promise us life, they bring death. They promise us wisdom, it makes us fools. They promised Eve that she would live like a God. Her and her husband ended up dying like fallen creatures. They promised Adam and Eve wisdom, but they became fools. Ungodliness and worldly lust deny us the manifold grace of God in our lives. They deny us the blessing of experiencing the abundant life that God wants us to have. And the gospel is God's loving plan to deliver us from the damage caused by our ungodliness and worldly lusts. Ungodliness and worldly lust is what calls, uh, uh, causes men and women to deny Jesus as their Savior today. It's what calls them to sit in church and think, I don't like what I'm experiencing here. I don't like hearing that man speak out of that book, the Bible. I, I don't like this. This is not gratifying to me. I'd rather be playing video games or be home eating or out working in the yard or something. It goes against our flesh. The flesh doesn't like spiritual things. Ungodliness and worldly lusts is what caused the Jews and Gentiles to crucify their Lord when He came. And thus, ungodliness and worldly lust is what's going to deny them and all who reject Christ today an entrance into God's eternal kingdom and the eternal life and forgiveness Jesus died for them to have. And so the gospel teaches us that if ungodliness and worldly lust denies everything that's good, then we should deny them. Instead of living according to the ungodliness and worldly lust of our flesh, Paul says we should, look back in your text, we should live soberly. Look at that word live. Live soberly. Now we've seen several times in this chapter so far, Paul, and, and before, Paul's told, told us that we should be sober. 
The men should be sober. The women should be sober. Here he's telling us to live soberly. Paul has already told us to think soberly, to be sober. But Paul's exhortation to the men and women in, in the previous verse was that they should be sober. And, and we should need more, though, than sober minds. We, we need sober actions, sober lives. We need to live cautiously, taking special care not to break God's commandments. We should live soberly being uh, afraid of not pleasing our God in fearing the just recompense that would come upon us. I, I read uh, an article Brother Pete shared with me the other day where uh, uh, people had swung the pendulum too far when it comes to grace. They said, well, Jesus is taking care of the sin matter. We shouldn't live in fear of any punishment from God. We shouldn't worry about if it hinders our fellowship with God or walk with God, basically, because sin's been taken care of. We don't have to worry about that anymore, like God's going to actually punish us for doing wrong. And, uh, and that's wrong. The Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God says, Whom I love, I, I, I rebuke, I chasten like a son. And whoever's without chastisement, they're a... They're, they're an illegitimate child. They're none of mine. They're not my child. We should live soberly, understanding that, yeah, God justifies us from sin through the blood of Christ, but sin has consequences. You cannot live contrary to God's Word here on earth without experiencing fallout from that disobedience. So live soberly, understanding that, that we need to, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. Live righteously, he says. Look back in your text, righteously. That means you go right down the line of God's holy word. Look not to the left of it. Look not to the right of it. Stay right on track with what the word of God says. He says, and godly, that's the next word in there, live godly. In other words, not denying God His place in, in your life, but owning up to the God's place. And I need Thee every hour, most gracious Lord, as the hymnal, the hymnist says. Paul said, live godly, the very opposite of ungodly. We should live every day walking in the truth that God is supreme over all. And His will must be the predominant desire of our hearts. Is it the desi dominant desire of your heart today? Do you wake up each day praying, God, help me to do your will, O Lord. Not my will. Don't help me not to waste the short days I have here on this earth, but to accomplish your will. To live godly is to understand that we need to be fully surrendered to God's Word. And let it have complete control of every aspect of our hearts and minds. But there is a primary object of the gospel lesson here. We're still looking at the principle here of what this teaches. And the primary object of the gospel, that the grace of God teaches that we should live this way. And this brings us to our last point, the present time. That we should live this way when? Look in your text. In this present world. That is such a... Powerful, sobering statement. Because most of us have the idea, a lot of Christians have the idea of, you know, I'll, I'll keep from doing the really bad stuff here on earth. 
I'll have enough religion to mix in, to, you know, to make me not be too evil of a person. And then when I get to heaven, I'll have wings and a harp and a halo and we'll all be, you know, godly creatures there. That's not what the gospel's for. That's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches we should live soberly, righteously, and godly right here and now. Not in the world that's to come. We're going to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the world to come. The Bible says God's going to conform us to the image of His Son. We're all going to be glorified and made like Jesus. But the gospel teaches a time to live like Jesus is right now. Right now. Not then. In this present world, which is the title of the message, by the way. Not in the world to come, but in the world that now is. We should deny the lust of this world while we are living in this world. Do you see what Paul's saying? Don't wait for God's kingdom to come to live like citizens of God's kingdom. Don't wait for God's kingdom to come to live like citizens of God's kingdom. We're talking about the power. Don't wait for the resurrection of the saints to walk in the power of Jesus' resurrection. One day, all the saints that are here uh, in this world, that are buried in in the earth, and all the saints that are alive and present at the time of the Lord's return, through the power of Jesus' resurrection, He's going to snatch the bodies from the grave, and, and they're going to come alive. He's going to take the living. And they're going to be transformed, is what the Scripture says. There'll be a resurrection. There'll be a transformation. And everybody will go up. We'll meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the power of Jesus' resurrection. But Paul's saying, don't wait for the resurrection. Don't wait for the rapture to live in the power of Jesus' resurrection. That power is available to you in this present world. The righteousness, the godliness, the sobriety of Jesus Christ, the holiness of the kingdom of God is available to you right now. Where you sit in this present day. God didn't come to us at the end of the world and say, here I am, I'll save you now. He came while it was just getting started. He came to Adam and Eve and and showed them how He would redeem them through a substitute dying in our place. He taught Abel and Abel offered a sacrifice looking forward to the sacrifice to come. He gave the promise to Abraham and then to Isaac. He, He gave the law to Moses and in that law there was the sacrifices showing again. Yes, you need to be holy, but only through a sacrifice can it be done. Why did He give it to them then? In that present world they were living in. Because what God demanded out of our lives. He wanted us to experience right now in this present world. Jesus didn't live and die for us after he made the world new. He lived, died and served God in this present world. He lived for God in heaven while he was facing the devil in the wilderness. Remember that? Forty days and forty nights without food. And the devil tempting him and on his heels the whole way. 
Jesus lived for God in this present world. And the gospel message that tells us that he came and that he was tempted in the wilderness teaches us Jesus is the power to overcome sin. But the power has a principle. If Christ lived and died in this present world to the glory of God, so should we. He lived for God in the presence of his enemies everywhere he went. Christian, mark this down. Victory isn't won after the game is over. You hearing that? God wants you to have a victorious Christian life. How many of y'all want to live a victorious Christian life? Victory isn't won after the game is over. Success isn't achieved when there is no task to complete. Don't wait for it all to be over with. The time to live victoriously, the time to live in, in, uh, successfully for the Lord God, the time to win your, your, uh, uh, your crown, so to speak, to, to gain your rewards, is now. This is the time to glorify God. Now. When all the decks stacked against you. When the world is telling you to do just the opposite. When you're going upstream in a downstream world. This is the time to live and bring glory to God. Victory isn't won after the game is over. Success isn't achieved when there is no task to complete. And glory isn't gained when there is no conflict. Not only that, faith isn't increased when there is no adversity. I'm going to say those again. Victory isn't won after the game is over. Success isn't achieved when there is no task to complete. Glory isn't gained when there is no conflict. And faith is not increased when there is no adversity. So quit seeking the things of this world. Don't wait for Jesus to come to live like Jesus. Light is best seen when it shines in the darkness. And that is where God wants your light to shine. People make a great mistake when they view salvation as the privilege of being able to go to heaven when they die. That's how they think salvation is, is what they think salvation is all about. I get to go to heaven when I die. No. Salvation is the privilege of enjoying heaven while you live in this present world. Jesus didn't say the kingdom of God is above you. In Luke 17, 21, Jesus said the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. His kingdom's in you now. The grace of God is not about leaving earth and going to heaven. It's about living on earth and fulfilling God's will in heaven. And then when that victory is won, when your light has shined, when the task is complete, when the enemy is conquered, and the conflict is over in your life by the grace of God, then your body lays down to rest until Jesus comes to pick it up again. But this is the time now in every day you wake up and breathe that first morning air as you're awake, you're counting the time down to that day ends and there's no way to reclaim it. 
What are you doing for God right now? Don't just say, I want to live out my life and do this and just plan everything around the, 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 what all the other people are doing in this world. Live soberly. Live godly. Live righteously. Each and every day. Until Jesus comes again. Live in the power of his resurrection. Until his resurrection takes you up to meet him in the air. Father, we thank you for everything you've done. We thank you, Father, for Paul's wonderful admonition to us. Lord, we have such dreams of the kingdom to come. And then we're reminded the kingdom of heaven's within us. The kingdom of God has come to us. It just not is reigning on earth today. We see not yet all things under his feet as the scriptures put it. But Lord we pray. That your kingdom will will be done in our lives. In this present world. Let us know and experience and thrive. In the powerful grace. Of God that brought salvation. Let that power father transform our lives. And bring great glory and honor to your name. We call unto you this morning. As our memory verse says. And we pray Lord that you'll show us great and mighty things which we know not. Ask it in Jesus wonderful name. Amen.